Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the U.S. Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode is about soybeans. Samaya went to Iowa and met some members of the Iowa Soybean Association. I even drove a tractor for about four meters. In this episode, we'll be hearing from a few of the people I spoke to. We'll hear from two farmers, Randy Solder and Tim Bardole. And we'll hear from Kirk Leeds, the chief executive officer of the Iowa Soybean Association. We'll explain how trade in soybeans has been completely disrupted by the U.S.-China trade war. I remember when the tariffs first came on back in July of 2018, a bunch of folks on Twitter were watching a ship of soybeans racing to get to China before the tariffs came on. It didn't make it. And that ship is just a tiny share of the total disruption that's been taking place. As well as talking about trade, we're going to talk about how the soybean market works. So let's do a dummy's guide to soybeans. Soybeans are a proteinous bean. You might eat them in the form of tofu or perhaps drink them as soy milk in a hipster cafe. Turns out a much bigger use of soybeans is to feed animals. They're processed or crushed into soybean meal. And that feeds chickens, pigs, cows, and sometimes even fish. You can also get soybean oil from the whole soybeans. That's used as vegetable oil, but also sometimes as fuel. Today, the biggest consumers of soybeans are the Chinese. They import a lot of those whole beans and crush them into meal, especially to feed pigs. American farmers buy a lot of beans too. They also feed livestock with them. But in terms of trade, the Chinese are really the biggest game in town. They buy 60% of the world's soybean exports. Now, there are some big countries out there, like India, that don't buy a whole lot of soybeans, and that's primarily because they don't eat a lot of meat. The Europeans buy quite a bit, though they tend to buy the processed beans rather than the whole beans. Thinking about this market then, demand for a country's soybeans goes up if there are more pigs, cows, and chickens in the world that need feeding. And demand will definitely go down if a tariff makes your beans more expensive than other people's beans. So that's demand. Let's talk about supply. America and Brazil are the two biggest producers of soybeans. Together, they account for about two-thirds of the world's supply. Argentina comes in third place. It produces less than half as much as the U.S. or Brazil. It's big, but it's not that big. Things that can affect the supply of soybeans include the cost of credit. Farmers need to borrow to pay for equipment, seeds, and fertilizer. Supply can also be affected by the weather. For example, last year there was a nasty drought in Argentina, so their crop went way down. And then there's also the cost of getting your beans from A to B. To supply somewhere, there needs to be transport infrastructure set up for that, so railroads or something to take the soybeans down to the port. Another really important thing to understand about this market is that these three big producers do not produce beans in sync with each other. Brazilians harvest their beans between February and May. Argentines harvest theirs a bit later, between April and June. The Americans plant between April and June and then harvest between September and November. That means that around the world, these farmers can adjust to what they see happening elsewhere. So, for example, when American farmers saw last spring that Argentina had this horrible drought, they planted for a bumper crop. It's also important to understand the big trends in the global soybean market. Essentially, the story of the last 10 years, it's been China, China, China. As people get richer, they tend to demand more meat. More meat means more soybeans to feed the animals. And so this global growth has coincided with a huge increase in global soybean production. The increase in Chinese demand for soybeans has been massive. 
This all brings us up to the spring of 2018 when American farmers were making their planting decisions. Economically, things were looking pretty good. Farmers expected demand from China, and the Argentines had had this drought. So the American farmers planted a lot of seeds. At the same time, this trade war between the U.S. and China was brewing. I asked Kirk Leeds of the Iowa Soybean Association what it was like. Yeah, the prospects were high from a production standpoint. You know, we we were looking at the good moisture going in. There was a the market was pretty strong. China was continuing to grow. I happened to be in China last March and met with Ambassador Branstead as this rhetoric between China and the United States was beginning to heat up. We had lots of conversations about, you know, President Trump was elected on a get tough on trade. We knew politically that soybeans would be a target by the Chinese if the tariffs were imposed. So we had lots of conversations with Chinese leaders, business leaders, government officials, and as I mentioned, Ambassador Branstead. You know, and, and there was an opportunity for many Chinese leaders, both in business and in the government, to lobby us, if you will, to make sure that we were communicating back to the administration our concern about it. Because again, everybody, Chinese, as you know, understand U.S. politics really well. And everybody knew that if they were going to retaliate, and they would retaliate, that soybeans would be the target. Ambassador Terry Branstead is the American ambassador to China. The soybean farmers were suddenly at the front lines of this trade war. And what was going on was that the Chinese were trying to use the soybean farmers as political leverage to persuade the Trump administration not to go through with the tariffs. I also spoke to Tim Bardol, who's a fifth-generation farmer from Iowa, about how he coped. I asked him whether he was surprised that the Chinese tariffs came on. I wasn't surprised when they did. But I was definitely hopeful that they wouldn't. It's really been hard on our operation, but a large part of that is that Skylar, my son, just started farming with us two years ago. So bringing another family into the operation definitely was, was hard on everybody's cash flow. And there was also some other factors that he had to buy some land from his wife's family or they were going to auction it. There was some land that we were renting that we either had to buy or it was going to get, they had already found another buyer. And the only thing that the owner said was if who was farming it was going to wanted to buy it, they had first chance. So we were very leveraged that way, which if the prices are good, it, it really doesn't hurt you. It just, but when when the prices are like they are now and, and have been here for the past almost year, it, it is definitely adds to the stress level in the operation. Finance is really important in farming. Farming is expensive and it's risky. You have to have these massive pieces of equipment that are really sophisticated. Take a tractor, which could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's got these monitors on them telling you the moisture level of the soil and all kinds of things. And then you need to have money to pay for your operating costs. Most of our equipment, we still have some loans on some equipment, but there we're pretty much, we're getting done with those. Our equipment's old enough. Most of it is seed and fertilizer and uh, pesticides. Right now we have operating note for the 19 season and then we had to pay off our operating note for last year, and they loaned us and kind of made a new note for the commodity we have in the bins. 
So it's a separate note. So it pays off the operating, but then we took, we had to borrow money to pay the operating, and then what's in the bins is our collateral for that money. There are some government-supported loans out there, but lots of these loans come from the private sector. And overall, and we will come back to this, there are clearly some farmers out there who are facing some really tough financial issues. Questions from the bank, worries about liquidation. But, but farmers as a whole did actually come into this trade war in reasonably good financial shape. If you look at the ratio of farmers' debt to equity, it's actually lower now than it was during the 1980s or the 1990s. Okay, back to the tariffs. So the tariffs arrived in July and sales to China essentially stopped. But that was after the farmers had already stuck all their soybean seeds into the ground. Here's Tim. We sat on our soybeans until the last week. So, and in reality, when the tariffs hit, that that was way too late. Here's a here's a weekly chart, and when you look, here is into May. Into May, you could still price decent. There'd been all kinds of rumors, and it was not not great, but all right. And then it dropped, and when you get to July. Right here where it came up, that's when the tariffs went into effect. I would dispute whether they were really rumors by that point. Okay, okay, Chad. It's not like the comms strategy of the Trump administration has been 100% perfect. There was still a lot of uncertainty. Fine. As you saw things could get bad, were you able to anticipate any of it? Were you able to adjust your planting or sell things in advance? Yes and no. The planting decision was made. Actually, the price really didn't go down until after the crop was planted. Even with that, you know, if I would have known then what I know now, we probably wouldn't have changed because we're already long corn and it would have just, it would have been challenging to, to add more corn acres at that somewhat short notice if we would have had that knowledge. We did price some beans before, actually about this time last year. So they were priced when board price was well over $10. That was about 20% of our production. Actually, a majority just during this past week, we priced the rest of it over a couple days. As well as Tim, I also spoke to Randy Souder. I'm Randy Souder. I'm the fourth generation to, to work this ground. I grow corn soybeans. We have a corn soybean rotation where you grow corn one year and then the next year you grow soybeans. It helps uh, keep the soil in in good shape. The tariffs came in in July, and mm. the price of soybeans fell a lot. Mm. Was there any response? Were there storage decisions? Were you trying to get the soybeans out before the tariffs came in? We knew in March that the the tariffs were coming on, so we were yeah we kind of marketed. Actually, if you if you had everything sold before March, you were in pretty good shape. What it hurt mostly was if you were selling 2019 crop. That's where the, the big hurt was. You couldn't you know, go out uh, 18 months and sell anything. At the time, I thought, ah, it's only gonna, this is just going to be a, a quick thing, and it'll all be better in the morning, basically. I was, I was really wrong on that one. <laughs> when I spoke to Tim on February 14th, and yes, it was a great Valentine's Day, uh, he'd only just sold the rest of his beans, having harvested them months before. A lot of farmers did that when prices crashed. They just held on to those soybeans. Tim had his own storage bins, although 
If you don't have those, then you can pay to store the beans somewhere else. I asked Randy whether there were any limits on how many beans he could store or for how long. Oh, no. You know, you can take it to the town, to the, to the elevator. You can store it there as long as you want. Just you pay the storage bill. The amount, no, there's really... It's quite cheap? No, it's not really cheap. Um, you know, it costs you, you know, 40, 50 cents a bushel if you want to store it for a whole year. But, you know, but later on, uh, or if they have too much storage room, they'll offer you free storage just to bring it in. Plus, they know that if they have their hands on it, that you can't sell it to anybody else. What did you do with this year's crop when the price was low? Have you have you stored? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're storing some of it. Um, sold quite a bit of it. Yeah, if it goes on next year, I don't I don't see any anything any different. The crop we have, it's going to get sold to somebody. The United States is going to probably produce more beans next year than we produced this year. If you look at the data, the amount of soybeans American farmers are holding in stock has gone up a lot. The U.S. Department of Agriculture says they're now at record highs. Stocks are high because farmers are waiting for higher prices, and they've been helped. Here's Randy on payments that soybean farmers received from the Trump administration to help with the low prices. But we also had the bailout where they, they give us you know, a pretty good chunk of money, which makes these $8 beans, $9.60 beans. There's no way the market was ever going to support that one. Yeah, it was, it was money, I think, so we would vote for him the next time. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> I asked Tim about the subsidies too. It raises it to above cost of production, so it helps a lot. I hate subsidies. I, as a Midwest corn soybean farmer, it is nice when people complain about subsidi- subsidies to say, you know, corn and soybeans, we really don't get much of anything. We, we get help on the crop insurance, which really isn't a budget item so much for the government. So we don't get much. The rice and, and cotton and sugar, they get a big chunk in comparison. After this past six months, I can't make that argument because we, we definitely got helped. And it, it was needed. There's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of farmers in, in some serious financial issues. And that, that was a big boost. These subsidies did help with the farmers' cash flow. They meant that the farmers didn't have to do fire sales of soybeans, and so prices didn't fall as much as they could have. So this is what's happening. These tariffs have come on, and suddenly all those beans that were flowing to China don't have a home. There was just too much supply. And this distortion was really obvious in the market. A huge gap opened up between the prices of American soybeans and the prices of soybeans from Argentina and Brazil. The cheap American beans did attract some new buyers. So Mexico started buying some more American beans, Egypt, the European Union. Even Argentina started buying American beans. And that's that's really weird. Normally they process a lot of beans, but their drought meant that they had fewer beans than normal. And so you have this funny situation where the third biggest soybean producer in the world starts importing American soybeans. Despite all these new buyers for the American soybeans, they just weren't enough to make up for the lost Chinese demand. That's what's been going on in terms of where the American beans have been going and how they've responded. 
On the Chinese side as well, though, there were there are some pretty interesting responses. If you think about it, China is this huge importer of soybeans. Suddenly, this source of American supply is just locked off, and so they start looking around desperately for other suppliers of soybeans. If you look at the charts, and we'll, we'll tweet out the charts, they're amazing. China starts ramping up its purchases from Brazil out of Brazil's normal selling season. Brazil is depleting its stocks, and China manages it. They manage to buy almost nothing from America, but not quite. These other sources of supply are just not enough to make up for the lost American supply, and so Chinese imports overall are down. Now, there are some reasons that we might expect Chinese demand for soybeans to actually be lower. Their pigs are suffering from something called African swine fever, which doesn't affect humans, but it does mean that you have to cull the pigs. Michael Magdebitz of Rubberbank said that the Chinese have had to cull somewhere between five percent and fifteen percent of their hog population. So even if there weren't tariffs, there are reasons to believe that demand would be down. Some other things the Chinese have been doing has been artificially depressing demand. So, for example, China decided to lower the minimum protein content of their hog feed rations. In the long run, that's not such a great idea because lowering the protein levels like that can create hog health problems, and it also means that they don't grow as fast. If you were to take anything away from all this, it's that commodity markets move around a lot. Where one flow was blocked, pressure built up in all these other places. The big question now is what happens next. As we record this, negotiations are ongoing. Chinese and American negotiators are haggling, and if a deal is done, the tariffs might be lifted. Chinese negotiators have already pledged to buy some soybeans, though nowhere near as many as they would buy under normal conditions. Some people don't realize that the tariffs are actually still in place. How it's been working is that Chinese state-owned enterprises have been the ones buying these American beans, and they're getting refunds from the Chinese government for the tariffs. It does seem as though there is some demand from the Chinese private sector, but they can't get access to these refunds. And together, all that suggests that if the tariffs were removed, then one might expect demand to recover a bit. But over the long term, the really big question is whether those pre-trade war trade flows. Will they ever go back to where they were? Kirk Leeds from the Iowa Soybean Association wasn't very hopeful. I'm really worried about the long-term impacts on the relationship that I think we will pay for for a long time. I personally don't think we're ever going to see us getting 100% of soybean exports back. My guess is maybe 50 to 60%. I think we've done long-term damage. When you take a trading partner and you teach them or encourage them or give them incentives to buy from someone else. It's hard to get them back, and particularly if you've got a government which has the ability to, by edict, say you shall or shall not buy. I think we'll be lucky to get sixty percent of this market back. Who do you think will will be supplying the soybeans instead?、Brazil. I think it's Brazil and other places. I mean, I think there will be investments in other parts of of South America.、Uh, as you know, the Chinese have an incredible ability to invest money when they want to, sometimes with strings attached. But you're going to see incredible expansion in in Brazil,、uh, setting aside the rainforest for a while. Just the incredible amount of grasslands that are available in Brazil that can be fairly easily converted into croplands. And again, the Chinese will invest billions of dollars in infrastructure so that you don't have to truck it by trucks. You can rail it, and the infrastructures, the port facilities in 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 South America are second to none. The problem they have right now is getting the beans from the You know, the middle of the country to the export channels, money can solve that problem, and will. 
And that was the experience in the 1970s. After President Nixon imposed these export restrictions, stopping soybeans from leaving the country, the Japanese freaked out and started investing massively in Brazil. Brazil then grew into the soybean powerhouse that it is today. So maybe the tariffs get lifted and over time, China develops better alternative supplies. But there's another option. It looks possible that a trade deal could include numerical targets where American and Chinese negotiators would write into the text that the Chinese would have to buy a certain number of soybeans. That could guarantee American farmers the demand they're worried that they've lost. But depending on how it's written, it could also introduce new distortions into the market. Suppose the Chinese have to buy American rather than Brazilian or Argentine soybeans. That could create a weird price wedge between them. It could also come with a risk that farmers end up in exactly the same position that they're in today. When they're very dependent on Chinese demand, the Chinese have market power, and if trade relations sour, then these farmers could get hit with tariffs all over again. There's another option, of course, and that's that the talks collapse. In that case, presumably those purchases that Chinese state-owned enterprises have been making would stop. Prices would collapse, and again, that really weird wedge between American, Brazilian, and Argentine soybeans, that, that would reemerge. Now, Maybe there will be some new demand for American soybeans. On February 19th, the EU officially recognized American soybeans as counting toward its renewable energy targets for biofuels. That sounds nice. I'm skeptical, though, that it's going to make up for the loss of China. If the talks collapse, it's likely we'll see financial distress amongst farmers. I did say that we'd return to this issue of of farmers and, and their finances, And and if you look at Chapter 12 bankruptcies, those are special bankruptcies for farmers, in America, they actually fell slightly between 2017 and 2018, which makes some sense given that these farmers have received these payments from the Trump administration. But that's not to say that some people aren't finding it really tough right now. And in some parts of the country, Chapter 12 bankruptcies have been increasing a lot. And going forward, We'll see how easy farmers find it to get new loans. Here's Tim. There's definitely operations that are on the verge of being liquidated. I don't think maybe a lot right now. But like our operation, if this would have happened four years ago, it wouldn't have been near as challenging for us. But bringing my son into the operation, uh, we're, we're definitely hurting. I, I hope things balance out and get the get prices up a bit so you you can do do this for a profit. I mean it's it's really fun working long hours and everything, but uh, it's it's nice to make money once in a while. I'm clearly not the first journalist to go out and chat to some soybean farmers. I'm definitely not the first journalist to go to Iowa. And I know that these guys have been getting a ton of media requests. And, and some of the appetite for that seems to be this sense that, oh, this is a constituency that disproportionately voted for Trump, and, and now they're being hurt by his policy. So, you know, have they changed their mind? After I, after I turned the recorder off, Tim said something. He said, look, this happens every five or 10 years or so. There are cycles to these things. The reason we're getting so much attention this time is because of the politics of it. That's all for this week's episode. 
So many thank yous this week from me. Thank you to Tim Bardol and Randy and Cindy Souda. Thank you to Katie Johnson, Kirk Leeds, Mike Steenhook and Grant Kimberly, all of the Iowa Soybean Association. Huge thank you to Michael Magdowitz of Rabobank. And I'd like to thank Gonzalo Huertas, my colleague at Peterson, for helping me work through some of the soybeans data in the history of South American soybeanism. As always, a big thank you to Colin Warren, who takes care of our audio. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because two farmers is better than one. Are there any pictures of you on this tractor? Oh, yeah. Can we tweet those out? Mm, We'll see.